James Smith, one of the founders of Bug Snap, first company exercises options in Hayes app that sold for about 45 million bucks. A little financial windfall for him means he can take a bigger risk in this company. They've got a hundred, sorry, they've got, what did they say? They've got 35 folks, again, working on bug reporting, making it easier. 60,000 free plus paid users, 4,000 are paying. They've broken the $2 million ARR uh, multiple, which is great. Super healthy numbers in terms of churn CAC and all that. They're really just starting testing that with $9.5 million raised. This is is the top where I interview entrepreneurs who are number one or number two in their industry in terms of revenue or customer base. You'll learn how much revenue they're making, what their marketing funnel looks like, and how many customers they have. I'm now at $20,000 per talk. Five and six million. He is hell-bent on global domination. We just broke our 100,000 units sold mark. And I'm your host, Nathan Latka. This is episode 762, folks. Coming up tomorrow morning, you're going to learn from Steve. He's raised $18.5 million to help banks use open APIs. Makes money from the number of API calls. A very interesting revenue model. Tune in to find out how he's doing. Hello, everybody. My guest today is James Smith. He's the co-founder and CEO of Bugsnag, the leading crash monitoring platform for web and mobile applications. The company helps companies like Airbnb, Lyft, Cisco, Pandora, and Yelp capture and fix errors in their applications. Originally, from London, James moved to the Bay Area in 2009, leading the product team as CTO of HazeApp. In his spare time, he likes hacking on open source software, eating junk food, and practicing his American accent. James, are you ready to take us to the top? It sounds good to me. All right, say say sounds good to me in your best American accent. Sounds good to me. <laughs> that's that's pretty, terrible. That was terrible. <laughs> that's pretty. That's pretty good, actually. All right, tell us tell us what Bug Snag is. Anything I missed out, and most importantly, your business model. How do you make money? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you kind of covered it in the bio there, but the nuts and bolts of it is if you're a, soft, a company that has software, which is pretty much any company these days, and you're trying to deliver that software to your customers, Bugsnag detects when that software is broken. Uh, so your dev teams can come in and, and fix the problems and assess how bad those problems are. Yep. And so this is definitely a B2B product. This is something that uh, we charge our customers uh, on a monthly subscription basis to use. So SaaS business. Uh, and the pricing kind of scales based on how big you are, how big your company is, how what's, many crashes. What's an, av- what's an average, would you say, the average customer pay per month? So we, we kind of see anything all the way down at 29 bucks a month. Um, we've got customers that are paying tens of thousands a month. So it kind wow. of really depends on the scale of the business. So I think the bulk of our customers are down in the SMB territory still. Uh, so kind of somewhere in between that. Okay. But like if you took if you took kind of total revenue divided by number of customers, you think it'll be more clo- like t- towards the $50 per month range versus $10,000 per month? Yeah, we've got kind of two peaks, basically. I think that if you look at our kind of self-service customers, customers that never talk to one of our sales reps whatsoever, probably down in that bottom territory, kind of the 50 to 100 range. How do you, uh, how do you manage then, focus with those two different kind of cohorts? That's a great question. We, we kind of, we built a kind of bifurcated customer success model. So we have uh, technical customer support reps who help out uh, our self-service customers, get them, get them rolling. And to be honest, our audience is software engineers. And, uh, you know, coming from a software engineering background, those kind of problems, if you're trying to set something up or make something work, software engineers love to get their hands dirty and fix that stuff themselves. So on the self-service side, the management's pretty easy. When it comes to the bigger customers, the, you know, the Airbnbs of the world, the lists of the world, uh, we want to make sure they're seeing good value. We want to handhold them, make sure they're happy, all that kind of stuff. So kind of split right down the middle. And what's your team size to date? 
So we are, we're actually hiring quite aggressively at the moment, but we are at, I think, 40 people, 35 people right now. Okay. Uh, probably 45 by the end of the year or minimum. Wow. And, and so loop that back to my initial question. How many of those 35 are in charge of holding hands of the likes of Airbnb and your kind of bigger cohort customers? Uh, our customer success team is actually really tiny. So I have two, uh, I have two sales reps and I have uh, one head of customer success and I have one technical support engineer. So we have four people out of 35. It's pretty lean. That's very, that's great. And what year, so take me back to when the company was founded. What year was that? Uh, so uh, we, my co-founder and I quit our jobs at the end of 2012. We incorporated in February, 2013. So we are just over four years old as a company. And what'd you quit? What job? So I was previously a CTO at a, a Bay Area company called HazeApp. It was a white combinator company uh, that was in the gaming space. And it was, that was fantastic. It was a great job. Um, but kind of going back to the beginning, my co-founder and I, he has a British accent as well. We met at college. Um, at HayZap, I saw the same problem as I did previously working in Bloomberg and working in finance. And this is what I said earlier, when software breaks, it breaks hard and, and you need to know about it. So uh, it was kind of an easy choice for me leaving, leaving that job because the mission was a bit bigger. So you didn't see, when you were at HayZap as CTO and you crashed, you didn't see a solution like Bugsnag. And that's why you're like, I got to go build it. Right. It was, yeah, they dog fooding, as they say, it was, uh, there was, there was piecemeal things out there. Nothing really kind of answered the question, what should I fix first? Or actually candidly, should I even fix this bug? I think a lot of people think, oh, let's fix every bug. But when you're building a high volume consumer app, that's just impossible. Yeah. What, um, I mean, I mean, we're making this sound easy. Like, oh, you just decided to transition one day, but like, I mean, imagine a CTO, you probably had equity. It had a Y Combinator name on it. So it's probably like, oh my God, you're leaving a Y Combinator company. How do you deal with that from an ego perspective? I mean, <laughs> like put me in your head. I mean, did you, did you have these problems? I mean, did you have equity in the company? And if so, how was that treated when you left? Yeah. I mean, so I, I'm proud to say that, that I, I love that company. I exercised all my shares that I invested over there and, and it worked out well. Hey, up got a acquired uh, at the beginning of last year. So I kind of was in a rare situation where I could have my cake and eat it, if that yep. makes sense. But uh, th for me, I'm a product guy, I'm a builder. And so once I had my eyes on the prize and, and I knew that was something I could build, that was all I was thinking about from that stage forward. But the, you know, the Haze Up guys, they taught me a lot back in that company. They're very impressed with those guys. How much did they end up raising before they sold? I can't remember, actually. I'm not sure. Okay. Um, was it I public? think it's all on Crunchbase though. Yeah, yeah the, I think the amount of raised, uh, the amount raised, and the acquisition price were both public. Uh, do you know, you don't know the acquisition price off the top of your head? I think it's about forty-five mil. Okay, who bought it? Uh, there was a German company uh, uh, called Fiber, which was another ad gaming ad tech company. Yep. And is it fair to say? I mean, was that the the first big financial windfall for you in your life, or, or did you have something earlier that you exited? No, I mean, I'm, I'm, I came out to the Bay Area in 2009, so I've only been out in the startup world for uh, eight or nine years. Um, and for me, I came out of finance industry. I came out here, got into the startup world. You know, when you get into a startup, it's a gamble. You, you, you're just going to roll the dice. And, and I honestly didn't think I was going to see – I didn't expect any upside. I knew these guys were always going to do well, but I didn't expect any upside. So I had a little bit there. It wasn't, it wasn't game, a life-changing amount of money, but it, it was um, – it was enough to soften the blow of, of startup life, that's for sure. Yeah, you can take bigger risks now on Bugsnag, right? <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, very rarely do I get to chat with people who've actually done this, so I, want, it would be, I, can't, I shouldn't skip over it, I don't think. When you talk about exercising options, right? So a lot of people on here that are listening have been pitched by a great 
developer, business startup guy, come join my company. Right. You know, let me pay you nothing, but like take 10%. And you're like, well, what's it worth? Like, what does it mean? So let's use the teaching opportunity. When you take equity at, at Hayes app, there was an exercise price, right? So let's, mm -hmm. let's make that up. Let's call it 10 bucks, right? What does that mean? What's exercise price mean? Yeah, so it's, it's stock options is, is the right to buy actual shares of the company at a future time. And so, yeah, with the, with the Hayes app situation, uh, I was first employee, early person in, in a YC company. So, yeah, my exercise price was decent, decent price. And then the idea is that you're still taking a gamble or a bet. So for me, I had to decide whether to buy my shares before the acquisition happened, because I didn't know the acquisition was going to happen. When that did you? When did you have? To, when were you forced to make the decision if you wanted to pay that ten dollars exercise price and cough up that money to buy those right. shares? So typically, in, in the Bay Area, there's there's a window after you leave a company. I think the norm now, I think on the templates, is around ninety days. Uh, companies like Pinterest are, are, are changing the game a little bit, though. Pinterest changed that window to be unlimited infinity window, so you don't even have to make that call, which is super exciting. But uh, typically, I see most companies having that ninety-day window. So I think most people, before they leave, factor that into their leaving decision, though. Like, you know, do I think this company is going somewhere? Yes. Uh, do I have the funds to, to buy these, uh, exercise these shares uh, options? Yes, I do. So that's kind of what went through my mind. It's almost like a legal way for insider training because you have all the information right like you know if the right. company is doing well i think probably you know one thing though where a lot of times where i talk to people privately who they really want to do this but they can't because they don't have the cash to actually buy all the right. shares at the exercise price so where did you get the money to do that this typically i mean guys just so you know to give you some context this can be in the like i mean this can be up in the six and seven figures sometimes when you're exercising options like this so where did you get that cash yeah, for me, I got because I was super early in. I was the first employee in. My exercise price was, low. was so low that it was it was in a much lower territory. I mean, uh, Hayes up as well. They didn't have this because I think it was kind of early at that time, two thousand nine. But a lot of companies these days, this is something we did at Bug Snag as well. Give employees the option to early exercise. I'm not sure if you're familiar with this. The idea is that you can uh, you can exercise your options immediately uh, and turn them into restricted stocks. So they still have the same vesting period where some of that some of those shares become uh, yours owned by you over a time period. But uh, you can. Uh, cancel out the, some of the tax uh, overhead that the IRS imposes by doing an early exercise. So, I mean, for me, in my case, the, the number was small enough that I just knew that I was going to leave and I just put went hard on savings. And I was saving anyway to start a startup and pay rent in the Bay Area is kind of crazy. <laughs> so uh, uh, that was my trade-off there. Do I do I have a couple more months of rent or do I uh, pay for my potentially lucrative shares? And how old were you when you left Hayes app? So that was about four and a half years ago. So I was 29. Okay, got it. So what, you're 33 now? That's right, yeah. All right, so take us back to bug snag here. So have you decided to bootstrap or have you raised capital? We've raised capital. We bootstrapped for the first kind of six to nine months. Uh, and we were profitable by the time we went out to raise around. Okay. Um, so initial, I think mid-2013, uh, we uh, spoke with uh, a couple of VC firms and angels, but we ended up going with Matrix Partners, who've been absolutely fantastic. We've worked with them ever since. That's uh, David Dana Scott, right? David Scott's company, uh, a firm with with a bunch of amazing partners over there. Da uh, Dana Stalder joined our board uh, when it was just Simon and I in, in, a, in a bedroom, pretty much building the company, which is great. And Dana's on the board at companies like Zendesk. And so it, that was a super kind of pivotal point for us. So how much uh, have you raised to date? Uh, under 10 mil, so uh, just 9.5 mil, I think, total. So we did a Series A round uh, about 18, 20 months ago from Benchmark, 
um, for 7.2 mil. And talk to me now in terms of kind of growth, right? Customer base. I mean, how many customers are you serving now? Yeah, so we're, I think, I kind of pulled up the numbers earlier today. Um, and the customer base is growing than I last, it was last time I looked. So we, we have about 4,000 companies that are paying uh, for Bugsnag to, to monitor their services. Uh, an interesting part of our business is we have a freemium model. So we have people using Bugsnag for free who have low volume applications. Are those included in the 4,000 or are the 4,000 only paying? They're included in the 4,000. Yeah. So we have 60,000 software engineers oh, wow. who are using the product. Uh, and I think probably about... A third of those uh, are in organizations that are paying us. So two thirds of our uh, of, uh, software engineers uh, on the Bugsnag platform uh, are using the free product, which is, mm-hmm. which is kind of awesome. We get we get a lot of people seeing value, uh, not really costing us much money, but it's a great branding uh, boost for us. Yep. And then taking back that first year you left the company when you launched, do you remember? I mean, how embarrassing was it? What was first year revenue? Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean... I can probably talk about some first year revenue numbers now. I, I, I'd be cagey about talking about current revenue. Yeah, but yeah, but way back in the day. When, yeah, when we when we uh, quit our jobs, uh, we were. Have you heard of the phrase "ramen profitable"? Paul Graham kind of popularized yeah, yeah, this. Yeah. Uh, just just top ramen and rent is is our profitability metric. And so I think we were probably about four point five k in MRR uh, <laughs> back when we raised our seed round back in the day. So I love that. that was, you know, at the time that was a huge for us. That was a, it was like, yeah, we've built a business that people will pay for. Uh, but things have changed a little bit since then. That's huge. And I mean, have you don't, you know, be as specific or unspecific as you want here, but have you broke the $2 million ARR, uh, uh, kind of, uh, number yet? Yeah, we're definitely above that. That's great. Okay. Let's fast forward into some other stuff that you have to think about kind of in this space. So churn is obviously always an issue in SaaS companies. What, what do you see in terms of logo churn per month or per year, however you measure it? So yeah, we, we look at gross churn and net churn. I think a lot of SaaS companies do. Um, one interesting thing about our business is that expansion revenue is really, really strong. Uh, so we are consistently having net negative churn. So our expansion revenue outstrips the the churn. But uh, I kind of look at this with a, lot, a bunch of my other SaaS founder friends. I think we're definitely below the norm in terms of churn in, in the uh, under 1% on both revenue and logo churn. Okay, those are typically like a lot of times, though, especially in a company like yours, where you have such differences in ARPU, the gross like logo churn number is typically very different than the net, net usually negative revenue churn. Like usually it's a huge gap. Yeah. I mean, what are you guys at? If someone's I'm, I'm making this up, if someone pays you a hundred thousand dollar ACV their first year, you guys have a playbook. Are you I mean, do you do you predictably grow that to 120 grand in year two, 150 grand? Is it 30 percent, 20 percent expansion year two? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not something I can go too deep into, but really, typically, we start off with actually quite low uh, deal sizes and then grow them over the, even in the first year. So we're not kind of the, uh, even with our annual deals, it's not the kind of company where we will um, close a massive deal yep. and then kind of wipe our hands with it and walk away. So I it's think monthly up expansion. Yeah, monthly expansion, or we cut a prorated check throughout the year. I mean, what generally happens is people try Bugsnag out on one part of their software stack first and then say, oh, this is awesome. Let's put it on our other, if they put it on the iOS app, they might put it on their Android app and then their website and then some of their backend stuff. So it kind of expands based on other people inside an org seeing value in the product. And so we tried to make the pricing model reflect that as well. Got it. That makes good sense. Um, and, and so what is, what is net negative churn? I mean, is it negative? Like, can you share that? 
I, I don't really want to share the kind of modern numbers okay. these days, but it, it, it's it's healthy. It's healthy. That's okay. Um, what is? I mean, uh, well, naturally, the question I want to ask is, well, what is healthy? Well, don't talk about your own company, but when you talk to your buddies and your friends, I mean, what do you see as industry standard for a healthy net negative churn? Yeah, well, we look at the the kind of mid single digits negative churn to. Uh, to, to low double digits negative churn. Like it's pretty negative rare that you five see some... to negative fifteen ish, something like that. Yeah, exactly. You see, you see people in the in the if you're in the low low double digits, then you're 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 doing well. Yep. I think that for us, everything's kind of stable. We're, we're still quite a young company, so it's kind of new that we're able to talk about these numbers in general. I think that when you're in the first couple of years. Things are so spiky. You'll have one big logo come on one big company that just throws all these numbers off. And so we're just starting to get a feel for this stuff these days. That's great. Now, you raised capital. I imagine you're doing some experiments in the paid marketing world. I mean, last month or on, on an average month, what are you spending? Not fully weighted. So don't include sales, salaries or anything like that. Just on like conference sponsorships or any other paid marketing tactics. So if you'd have asked me this question six months ago, I would have said zero dollars. Okay. Uh, so we have all of our growth pretty much has been through word of mouth. We've got that free, uh, that great free plan with 60,000 people exactly. on it. Exactly. Yeah. And so, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm a kind of, I guess, no longer really a software developer. I'm a reformed software developer, but uh, the way I would buy software and tools is, is by seeing what my buddies are using and, and, and understanding what, what they think is the best tool on the market. So that's been a really strong driver for us. Um, I mean, we did do conferences. We, we did last year, I think we did 18 conferences. They were typically like pretty small ones. though, like industry conferences. Like, 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 we're going to go to the Ruby on Rails like conference. Five or, grand a conference, 10 yeah, grand. Yeah. Like uh, under, okay. under 10 grand. Definitely. So yeah. if you got a, if you go to um, uh, like Ruby on Rails conference or Python conference or these kind of things, they're, they're like community conferences. You know, you're, you're going down there. You want to meet your community. But the cool thing about those conferences is that large companies go there as well. Yep. Um, last few questions here before we wrap up. Um, payback period. What do you like to optimize for? When do you like to get your money back? Yeah, so I mean, we uh, we kind of use the, the rule of thumb that um, I forget who's, I think it's Lemkin's rule of thumb of uh, getting back... Um, the your customer acquisition cost being less than the first year's uh, spend, yep. and first twelve months spend. Uh, again, for us, it's it's so new to us. We've only just started doing things like retargeting six months ago. Uh, all the basics of paid acquisition were just turning on. Uh, but what we're using is the the kind of twelve month payback period is is our rule of thumb. And do you have any weird above the line cost structure that's like server intensive, or do you have typical SaaS gross margins in the eighty five eighty six percent range? We are definitely in the typical SaaS gross margins range. We are. It's interesting for us. That's harder to achieve because we have a, a data intensive uh, SaaS product. So we, I think there's billions of crash reports per day coming into our servers these wow. days. So, uh, and each of them are like at least 10 kilobytes in size. So we're trying to keep the margins very much in the SaaS standard range, but also processing still bring a lot of data. Many of you listening right now don't have time to listen to every B2B SaaS CEO that I've interviewed. If you want to get access to the database I've created with year-over-year growth rates, customer accounts, margins, and many, many other data metrics and data points, you can go to getlatka.com. Here's the thing, though. This that database, I keep it to myself. It's so freaking valuable. And to preserve the quality of the data and make sure that the people that have access to it have a true advantage, I'm only letting 10 companies on each month. So we're full this month, but you can go to getlatka.com to get on the waiting list for next month. And look, there's big people on the waiting list. I mean, the biggest VCs you've ever heard of. 
You've probably heard of them. They're big, private equity, billions and billions under management. So it's an impressive waiting list. Go get on now at gitlatka.com. Many of you know I am buying companies that I really, really like, and there's no quicker way for me to get to the bottom of what is happening on that website than using this tool called nathanlatka.com forward slash hot jar, H-O-T-J-A-R. It basically will give me a recording, okay? When anybody lands on the website, it'll give me a recording of where the viewer is scrolling, and obviously does the basic stuff like heat maps too, but I learn so much about where the users are scrolling and clicking on my site using that tool. It helps me increase conversion rates, make more money, and grow those businesses faster. And we'll have to see what happens with those businesses, but I'm buying them, I'm buying them very quick, and I'm using nathanlaka.com forward slash hot jar for all of my website analytics. You can too, I work with them, it's totally free. You can go to nathanlatka.com forward slash hot jar. No credit card required, again, use it as much as you want. nathanlatka.com forward slash hot jar. I'll see you there. That's great. All right, let's wrap up here, James, with the famous five. Number one, what's your favorite business book? Ooh, there's a great book called Radical Focus that I've been reading recently. Uh, Christina Wodka, I think is how you pronounce the last name. That's fantastic. It's like parables about um, how to uh, set objectives and goals in management. Um, it's, it's the most fun business book I've ever read. Number two, is there a CEO that you're following or studying currently? So I don't spend a lot of time kind of studying other CEOs, but um, my favorite CEO is Jeff Bezos. I think uh, he aligns well with my kind of product thinking. Um, his favorite quote that he has kind of aligns with this ambition plus execution thing, which is uh, Amazon like to do hard things well. Yep. Uh, I always, always respect that. Number three, is there a favorite online tool you have like HostGator? I got a really boring one. Uh, there's a company called eShares that does cap table management. Yep. And you think it's such a boring thing to solve, but these guys have nailed it. It's one of the best examples of product design out there. And it's a cap table and, and, and stock options management system. So I definitely, that's one of my favorite ones to go into. Number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? A minimum eight every single night. Like, it's super important for me. And what's your situation? Married, single, do you have kids? I'm married, don't have a family yet, but uh, but married, been married for, I think, seven years now. That's great. And how old are you? Well, 33, right? 34? 33, yeah. Awesome. Last question. Take us back 13 years, James. What do you wish your 20-year-old self knew? Ooh. Now, this is a kind of a cultural question, I guess. But for me, uh, my dad gave me this advice, but I didn't really ever heed it until recently. He always said, if you don't ask, you don't get. And it's such an obvious thing to say, but I think that the Britishness in me is makes me a bit... Uh, reticent to ask for things or ask for favors. And a lot of the time you just do it in the classy way. Uh, you get great results. And, and especially in the Bay area, there's this kind of karmic culture out here. If you, if you, you want to help everyone out. And so I've been doing the same the other way around. So I wish I'd go back 13 years and tell myself, if you don't ask, you don't get apply it to your life. There you guys have it from James Smith, one of the founders of bug snap first company exercises options and haze app that sold for about 45 million bucks, little financial windfall for him means you can take a bigger risk in this company. They've got a hundred, sorry, they've got, what do they say? They've got 35 folks again, working on bug reporting, making it easier. 60,000 free plus paid users. 4,000 are paying. They've broken the $2 million ARR uh, multiple, which is great. Super healthy numbers in terms of churn CAC and all that. They're really just starting testing that with $9.5 million raised. James, thank you for taking us to the top. Thanks, Nathan. If you enjoyed James today, go back and listen to Jim yesterday. Jim has raised $63 million and 20% of the top 200 companies use his tool to communicate with their employees how to get such high market penetration. 